0: Hey folks, just a quick full spoiler warning for Unbreakable Split and Glass, and also a content warning as we talk about Split and Glass. We're going to talk about mental health, trauma, sexual assault, and all of the other themes in those movies. Uh, If you want to hear a more in-depth discussion about why we think Split in particular is problematic, you can listen to Tony's Film Corner through our Patreon. Uh, We dive a little deeper into that movie there. So yeah, other than that, enjoy! A single issue ranges in price from $1 to over $140,000. 172,000 comics are sold in the U.S. every day over 62780000 780 thousand each year. The average comic collector owns 3,312 comics and will spend approximately one year of his or her life, their Shyamalan, come on, their life reading them. Uh, that is the opening title card of Unbreakable, which was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It was released in 2000. Uh, it got a semi-sequel, uh, standalone sequel, let's call it, called Split, ...in 2006-2007, and Glass is the last uh, part of that trilogy, known as the East Rail uh, 177 trilogy, I guess is what Shyamalan calls it, that was trained and Unbreakable. Uh, that just came out uh, this month, so Unbreakable and Split are on everyone's minds, uh, and we are here to talk about that on AP Marvel. This is not an off-topic episode, and we're we're going to try to make it clear why. Uh, but yeah, this is episode 35 of AP Marvel. I'm Chris Compendio, you can find me at Compenderizer. I'm here, I'm here, they are sitting next to each other, uh, Izzy Show is here.
1: Hi, I'm Izzy Show, I'm at Delirolin, and I was adjusting my chair, because I I was, like, about to fall off it, so.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, you're safe now, (laughs) it sounds like.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: returning, uh, Layla Jordan is here.
2: Hello, uh, I'm at Galaxy Layla, and... Yeah, I'm sitting in a chair that does not need to be adjusted.
1: Because this is so her room. All, nice. Yep, yeah,
0: you're all in chairs. We're all ready to talk uh, superheroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, all three of us have seen Unbreakable Splitting Glass now at this point, correct? Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Layla, we'll start with you. What the hell? Why? I don't know if you remember that text at all. Um, you sounded like a little confused when I mentioned in the pre-show, but like having heard me read that, just read that now. Why do you think Shyamalan began Unbreakable with that little factoid?
2: Yeah, I completely forgot about it. It's <laughs> been a little bit since I saw Unbreakable, but um, yeah. I think it was more of like, cause at the times like 2002, like comic book movies weren't really a thing, and like comics were kind of thought of as like a nerd culture and not really a mainstream thing. And it was kind of trying to show, like, how valuable comics are to the people that read them and how prevalent they can be. Um, it's kind of like setting the stage, because since Elijah Price is such a big, like, comic, uh, comic book lover, to say, like, he's not alone. Like, a lot of people love comics and they have, like, a large demographic across the United States.
0: So, like, almost this very defensive statement, you feel?
2: Uh, yeah it's kind of just trying to justify like it's not absurd for this guy to love comics like they can be very expensive and um people can own thousands and spend years of their life reading them just like people spend years of their
1: life reading any other type of book uh, kind right. of trying to like justify uh, Izzy do it
0: yeah.
1: yeah definitely I think like I feel like I took it as sort of like a lot more like of a neutral statement like you know people love comics like it's evident like look at how much like the value of these like, like how much like they mean to people and sort of sentimental sense but this mm-hmm. is it sort of quantified and shown like you know strict you know monetary value like yeah like how much people value um these things and so like layla's right like it's like this came out in a year where superhero films weren't as popular as they are today and i think also shaman almost was trying to sort of introduce the Concept or just like talk about it a little bit beforehand before you started this movie,
0: right? Yeah, this came out in uh like straight like two thousand on the dot. Mm -hmm. Um, so at the time, I guess X the first X Men came out the same year. I don't know which one came out first. X
2: Men came out in July. This came out later, I believe. This was okay.
0: Yeah. Um, it's like a December movie I think
2: yeah it was like a the, late release because it was like billed pil- as like a drama so it wasn't like oh, yeah, a big like action yeah. kind of movie
0: yeah um, well remember before this I think it was 97 where uh, Batman and Robin starring George Clooney and Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of made superheroes lame <laughs> um, but that kind of stopped superhero movies uh, like mainstream ones like you still had like Blade and stuff like that to come out
2: yeah, but uh, Blade most, wasn't oh, like for like everyone because of the R rating. Like, we really <laughs> had not like. Yeah. There wasn't really a superhero movie you could take your kids to in a long time. Yeah, not and not you can't at all. take them to I, this
0: yeah. one. <laughs> that first Blade movie, I don't. I might be in the minority, but I don't think it holds up very well.
1: But, I didn't see um, that. I would <laughs> <I quite> imagine. <laughs> I mean, I would imagine though that like Blade is not held up as much. Also, this is just an aside, we were looking up the release date of Unbreakable, which was November two thousand. But we also saw a headline. It's called Glass Box Office. M. Night Shyamalan's split sequel remains unbreakable.
0: Uh, Even though the critics are split. Ha ha, uh, ha, ha, ha ha. I
2: think the art of writing pun box office headlines is one of the finest art in um, <laughs> movie writing today.
1: Chris, can you oh, confirm? The, the,
2: the puns for Aquaman were just breathtaking. <laughs> It, like makes a splash, huge wave, yeah. drowns the box office. Ugh,
0: it's great. One Roman had a lot of um, Amazon delivers. Uh, like <laughs> Amazon is Prime. <laughs> oh no! No! I hate those. It's pretty bad. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
0: I listened to a, a podcast. It was a uh, Waypoint Radio. Uh, well, actually, no, they they spun off and they made a movie podcast, and they talked about this. Uh, they're ta- they're doing each of the movies in their own episode, and they talked about this opening scene, and they they too had a very um, read on it that made it seem very like very defensive. I have a slightly more contrived theory about why this was here, and it has to do with the heel- the whole um, existential part of Unbreakable, the fact that oh there are like so many people in the world, but like you are like a unique one. Um, so there's that whole scene where Elijah and David Dunn, Elijah played by Samuel Jackson, David Dunn played by, uh, Bruce Willis, and he has his son, played by Spencer Tree Clark, who, uh, is also an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., by the way, um, that little boy, um, they are meeting Elijah for the first time, and Elijah's like, I believe that, uh, he, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, I believe that, the imagery in comic books of superpowered beings are based on truth, and he's saying, like, oh, there have been so many, so many of these comic books that it has to be true in some way. Like, uh, and he cites, like, oh, people have been, like, drawing artistic depictions of stuff like that. Like, the Egyptians drew on walls and stuff like that. Like, and maybe I'm, like, um grasping at straws here, but the fact that he says something along the lines of, like, I believe comic books are a form of history, and he kind of laments the fact they've been commercialized, um, I think that's kind of where the opening's getting at, like, there are just, there are so many comic books, there's so many, there's so much fiction out there that there has to be at least one case in the whole world where, like, that has to be true. Am I, is that too much of a stretch on my end?
2: Think so, I think that was always kind of the thesis of these movies that like impossibility does exist, like it's just out yeah. there somewhere like lurking beneath the surface,
0: yeah, just the the sheer probability, I guess, but mm-hmm. that's my take. I don't know if Shyamalan meant that to be vague, um because there are a lot of when you look back his whole filmography, I think there are a lot of moments and pieces of dialogue where I think he has a very clear intent, but it doesn't register because I don't think Shaman is that good at writing dialogue. So, uh, you know, again, that's just my take. Um, Sometimes
2: it feels like, because the whole thing is screenwriting, like, you don't, screenwriting isn't really, dialogue isn't how people actually talk, it's how movie characters talk. Not at all. And then I think he just took that to the extreme, so it's like, oh, it's how nobody (laughs) talks, so everyone's just going to, like repeat themselves or use like these weird complex metaphors and jokes that no (laughs) one would ever say and just be very blunt but also convoluted like that no one talks like that so
0: yeah a lot of it's like heavy-handed and you know i i love the sixth sense so much but there are some times where like huh they said <laughs> that was like a weird line reading for a weirdly written line like it's just there's are just layers to how weird that moment was but
2: there's one line in, in glass that I actually laughed when it was spoken because it was just the epitome of M. Night Shyamalan dialogue um, <laughs> it's when L- Ellie Kemper Sarah Polson's character is saying like what the plan's gonna be and she's like uh, it's gonna happen at the Osaka Tower the tallest building. <laughs> like the entire movie they've been saying it's the tallest building. It's the tallest building. <laughs> and she's just talking to someone. It's like it's the Osaka Tower. Like the more specific example. And then you have to
1: clarify it with
2: the, the tallest, tallest building.
1: building. I just. Yeah.
2: <sighs>
1: For me it was like when she find out like she finds out like what Elijah's like huge plan is. And she's like what have you done? Eliza, I'm like, you could have cut that scene by, like, 50% by just cutting <laughs> her dialogue.
0: Was that the one with, with the with the guy sitting at the computer chair, and there was a shot of him, like, leaning back into the frame? And I'm like, wait, what is this shot? I think so. Or... It's, like,
1: her last scene before she, like, yeah. screams for some before... apparent reason. The screaming, yeah. I feel like that could have, like, that's
2: that would be powerful if it was, like, set up. But it was, like, she already had all this dialogue, if she and wasn't then she a straight screams... character. <laughs>
1: It would have been really impactful
2: and poignant. If we had any emotional connection to her, then we would have been like, oh, she's really upset, but instead she was...
0: She yeah, if she thing. wasn't a freaking robot the entire movie. I
1: really... Least. I'm just gonna clarify. I really hated Sarah Paulson in this movie, so be prepared for that. <laughs> did
0: you call her Ellie Kemp? Like, wait, did you call... What, what did you call her? I thought her it was Ellie's
1: staple. It is. Ellie Kemp is the- <laughs>
2: the She's Unbreakable kempers
0: the uh, she's it's unbreakable kimmy schmidt, right? she's
2: an unbreakable kimmy schmidt <laughs> <laughs> so I got them confused. oh my god oh my god last season
0: now on netflix i mistake but El-
2: unbreakable That's... kimmy schmidt
0: now streaming on netflix is he yes um when you hear because you know people have been using this phrase a lot grounded realistic superhero movie what does that mean to you
1: I think a grounded realistic superhero movie is um I think I think what I think what Superior sort of capitalized on was their sort of flair for like going like over the top. Like we were talking about in the pre-show, split um split's portrayal of DID was very like, heightened and like inflated. Like no one I think with DID has like twenty-four different personalities. And I guess they're not I think a grounded realistic movie won't do that as much. Or I think even in I think even if they do it is not to the level of bigger, bombastic superhero movies and it feels... I feel like the typical assumption is that grounded realistic means like oh it's so easily like, in our world it's so like mergeable or like you know like it could be in our world but I think it also can go beyond that to say like you know not just that it feels realistic but almost in, like a reserved, still powerful way um i know you mentioned
0: any examples you can think of
1: um well you mentioned nolan's batman trilogy in our notes and i think that's a very good example i keep circling back to civil war for some reason but i know that's very much not the case i think it i mean aesthetically it looks realistic because it looks like to quote um a video essay that you probably have all seen um why does it look like um an airport parking lot because it's in an airport parking lot um <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think Iron Man might be able to be that in some senses because it took this very sort of, it took this like, it almost took like this fantastical element of like the Iron Man suit. Like I'm just thinking of the scene, scene we show our class of um, Iron Man being able to point out who the terrorists are and just, you know, knock them down. And I think that feels almost like, I realistically ideal.
0: In a way if that means anything, because sure, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like it, it's um, like the way it's shot. There's a lot of uh, handheld. Mm-hmm. It's everything's kind of dirty and grimy. Like you're kind of there on the ground.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Obviously, like the physics aren't realistic. Like, um, you know, he he kind of rockets out of that little cave in his and you know his Mark One suit, and he crashes on, the, on into the desert. And realistically he should be dead, but you know. Uh, but still there's a suspense of disbelief. I mean even like the Dark Knight had a lot of suspense of disbelief. Like that guy that guy got half his face on fire. Yeah. Uh, like although Joker still, should have like, died
1: when he fell off that building.
0: <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean a lot of, <laughs> Yeah. Uh I mean I, I guess when we're talking grounded reality, I guess we're talking more about the the tone in like in trying to make everything seem plausible. Mm-hmm.
2: I think, like, Um, a lot of the times, like, a ground realistic superhero story, it kind of acts like it could have been, like, a folklore. Like, someone could have, like, lived through this and, like, been telling their kids about it. And it's not, like, this thing that, like, changed the world forever, but something that people around it could have remembered it. And maybe it is kind of heightened, because people don't really remember things exactly as they happen. Mm -hmm. So someone would be like, there was this guy, and he had 24 personalities, or this guy could fly around, and he disappeared, and I'm mixing my metaphors a bit um but sure i think it's just something it's not completely realistic but it's realistic in the way someone could have remembered it without the entire world being like oh yeah like the aliens came because then that's not a folklore that's now in history books forever
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i I guess that's in the end that's kind of elijah's um argument right that um oh maybe comic books are like our folklore um, yeah. you know, this, this has to be true in some way. Um, otherwise, why will we just keep telling these stories? Exactly. Um, obviously, I mean, I've talked a lot about escapism and many things that I've written before. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where my head is at, but sure, that's a valid opinion, Elijah, I guess. Um, speaking of Elijah, um, you know, we, we talk about in this, in this podcast a lot about this, um, student talk class, the Stuco
2: yeah. that, uh, mm-hmm. we
0: have, all um participated in either teaching or uh taking it uh do you guys still show that unbreakable clip in the first class in the very first session
1: we never showed a clip of unbreakable in our class we sort of uh, maybe you think when you maybe when you taught chris you did but um we always um essentially show like a picture of elijah sort of in front of all these comic books at the store and we um um and we talk about how yeah it's it's a freshman dorm, room. <laughs> um and we talk a lot about how um essentially it really put we saw we talk about how Unbreakable put like these movies in, the, like yeah like a more they were it was very grounded really it talked about them not in the superhero movie format but in yeah the form of like a drama like a I think you classified um, Unbreakable as a thrill. Drama or thriller?
2: I think it's more of a drama. Like not a lot of action happens, and Mm -hmm. when it does, it's very minimal. It's like him throwing someone against a wall, and it's very Mm -hmm. slow. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, Yeah. if you took out a lot of it, it's just like one man's struggle
1: with a terrifying accident kind of thing. Uh, But it talks about the we. I almost I think we almost preface it like it talks about the idealism of superheroes way before this whole superhero renaissance started. I think that's an interesting perspective to look at this movie from, um, and it does say like to use our words like grounded, realistic. Um, it does talk about it in that sort of manner, but we really just mention it. But the one thing that was like in the back, like the one thing that's like, always in the back of my mind is how like we'll get to this later. But um, Unbreakable came out before the MCU, and then Split came out after, and so that puts it in a really interesting position
2: and unbreakable came out at a time like people didn't really love it like critics were pretty mixed liked it kind of audiences didn't really love it like it was um it was like a weird movie to come out at that time because people were just like barely getting like barely able to tolerate superhero movies um because they either were like too campy or blade was like not child friendly at all um so it's uh, like a very strange position which I think make it makes it like one of the most unique superhero movies in that way. Um
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh not to mention just the timing in which it came out uh, in terms of Shaman's career because uh, I guess The Sixth Sense was like I think it was the year before that, yeah. or a couple years before. Yeah. Yeah, I think Six in The Sixth Sense Bull was, was like
2: 99. His... It he yeah. it was a fast turnaround because Sixth Sense was like incredibly successful. It's one of the most financially successful horror movies of all time it launched yeah. M night Shawan to like this is the director to watch um, until he
1: kind of destroyed himself he <laughs>
2: literally destroyed himself pretty much after <laughs> unbreakable like okay signs kind of but um but after that people were like what Ooh.
0: I think the village is where the cracks began to show I but,
2: think was the village um, where he did the whole fake story about him drowning? Um,
0: Wait. <laughs> I think so.
1: Okay, yeah. so, yeah. Wait, I'm sorry. He wrote She's All That and Stuart Little. Yeah. Did you not know that? No.
0: <laughs> I forgot yeah. about She's All That. I'm, yeah. Is that true? Yes.
2: Yeah, it's his best movie.
0: <laughs> Great. Uh, um, well, the thing I think it's kind of a sophomore slump kind of thing because people have such high expectations at The Sixth Sense that... Pretty much, no matter what you do, like whether it's on the same level or slightly below, they're gonna mark that as a failure, yeah. Yeah. And because,
2: like, it's also like Sixth Sense was a cultural phenomenon. Like, I see dead people is now just like probably might be as well known as like I'm your father in terms of like twists and movies,
0: yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, also, I I, you know, I don't remember as a kid what the commercials were like, but from my understanding, this was not marketed as a superhero movie. This was marketed as a psychological thriller, so that might have been misleading to people.
2: Mm-hmm. Gave it that C-plus cinema score. Mm-hmm. C-minus. <laughs> I know the cinema scores. I've looked them up.
1: You did not I didn't write interest in that? Yeah. I...
2: Cinema scores are really interesting because they're not about quality at all. They're just about basically marketing and audience perception. Like, Hereditary got a D plus in O score. Like, because people yep. thought it was going to be like, ooh, jump scares. In this movie, they're like, oh, it's going to have like a twist and it's going to be a horror movie. Um, and it was slow and very, like the twist wasn't like, whoa. It was like, okay.
0: <laughs> Having not seen Hereditary, but I, I'll, so many people I trust really like that movie my dad saw it by himself and he just kept live texting me like how much he hates it (laughs) oh wow i saw very very strange i
2: saw the first 45 minutes and i got too scared um and then i watched the rest of it when i came back to college with my friends um it's really good but it is it has like scary it has like maybe one jump scare it's all just Mm -hmm. like this intense like this palpable tension of just like dread And it's very, there's a lot of severed heads, which I guess people don't like. But it's very, it takes itself very seriously. And it's really about grief more so than any scary thing. And, like, the layers to that movie are, like, someone's going to write their master's thesis on it one day. But, But for an audience that's just, like, it's summer, like, you just want some fun, scary movie. It's not, like, ooh, jump scare is that. It's, like, isn't grief, like, Terrible and aren't family dyna- dynamics like inc- like crazy and mm-hmm. we have such strange relationships with our family and our communities and people were not into that.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess with that in mind, I mean, I bet if you saw a trailer of Unbreakable, I bet I bet it's gonna be like really brooding. Very, like, oh, from the director of The Sixth Sense, the Academy Award-nominated director of The Sixth Sense, and it's, like, Bruce Willis again, and he's looking brooding, and it's like, how did I survive that fatal train crash, and it's, like, kind of creepy, and you go to the theater, and that's not what that was, obviously. Um, There might have been, like, one jump scare in Unbreakable when, like, he finds, like, that the, the dad's dead body in the uh, in the very end when he goes into the house to fight the orange man
2: mm-hmm.
0: but besides that um, it's it's kind of like this treatise on you know this is comic books as art you know so that scene that I used to show the, the clip I used to show was when Elijah is trying to sell this uh basically this piece of unfortunate not uh, yeah, kind of unfinished comic book art. It was like it had the it shading kind of like the done, but movie. it didn't
2: have like the colors done, I believe.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he's kind of like he's he's he, he's talking a lot of, about um the the shape of the character and um, how this is what the artist meant it to be. This was the original intention. This was before it became. Ex- I think he uses the terms exaggerated and um uh, commercialized. And he's like, you know, this, this is art, you know, he's like that kind of person. And yeah. the guy who's, he was uh, thinking of buying this is kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, I'm going to buy this for Jeb, who's like my, what, like four-year-old son. Yeah, it was like, this, is this rich then, guy, you want it for
2: his kid's room. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and then Sam Jackson just goes off. Um... He's like, do, do you see, like, any toys? Do you see, uh, and he used the turn, like, do you see, like, an Asian kid outside, like, playing with a little... I don't know what he was saying, but that was such a weird, that was such a weird Shyamalan line to me. But he basically goes off being like, no, this is not a toy, this is not, um, a child's play thing, this is art. And that was kind of my way of saying, like, hey... This class that we're about to teach, we're going to, like, try to think about comic books and comic book movies a little more critically. We're not going to think of them as, like, oh, just, like, kind of whatever blockbusters. Uh, so I guess you can see why, you know, y'all find that opening title card to be very defensive, seeing how that is personified by Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, I mean, uh, thinking about Elijah Price would hate Funko Pops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He, those would, he would, like, I wish Glass was about him destroying the Funko Pop warehouse. Like, I think that would win
1: an Oscar. Hey, Chris, you know those like videos we were talking about, like uh, just advertising like our best quotes? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's one of them. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, because I'm fucking dying right now. <laughs> That's so true, though. <laughs> Oh, man. That's what Glass should have been.
2: It should have been about, like, rejecting... I mean, it's still, like, kind of a pretentious point of view, but I think it should have been, like, the dichotomy between, like, the commercialization of, like, superhero movies versus, Mm -hmm. like, the love of them and, like, where does the line get drawn, kind of. Because, like, is, like, buying a Wolverine action figure like that wrong, but is having 500 Funko Pops? That's wrong. That should (laughs) be a crime. I have three, and that's too much.
1: (laughs) I have like, I used to own so many, but like they're all like back in my room, and now I have like maybe five in my college dorm. I have, I
2: mean. I have a Bucky one that's broken, like it came Aww. broken, like they didn't put the bobblehead on right, Aww. so he has, he has like, this really long neck, Aww. which is very funny. Okay, that's off topic.
0: Wait, Izzy, who, who got us those little keychain Funko Pops? I did. Is that you, or is that Thomas? or Okay, I still have my cap one that you guys gave Aww. me, and it is the only Funko Pop that I have, <laughs> and the only Funko Pop I will have. Uh, I also that, have a hot To me, head. that is just a...
1: Yeah,
2: because yeah, <laughs> when Ultron came out, people were like, Hawkeye's a character, so we're going to put him in some Funko Pop. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah. please.
0: So wait, pretentious, the word you would use for that, right? That that whole spiel? I yeah,
2: guess? definitely. Yeah, because I feel okay. like art yeah. is a lot of like what people think of it. Because I know some artists are like, this is just fun colors, and then people are like, this is the most holy, holy creation that has ever been made. Look at the colors and the line and the symbolism and so i think it's like the reverse for him it was like he's the seller is like this is this is beauty this is true form but if we're falling into capitalism it really doesn't matter what the other guy thinks it is because he has money but he refuses to sell it to him which is not good for business um (laughs) (laughs) he should be bankrupt
0: yeah, but like if you're like, mortally opposed to selling this comic, but like that was just such a strange scene to me. But I think that kind of showed like what kind of character he was. But kind of going with that commercialization idea, let's bring the MCU into this. Yeah, uh, is, this, is this a Marvel podcast? What we've done uh, thirty uh, yeah, actually, four no, minutes AP of setup. <laughs> um, yeah, so like so A P M Night I... Shyamalan.
1: A P M Night yeah. Shyamalan. Tune yeah. in next week for an episode about the Last Airbender.
0: Ooh. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I think we so... should we should
2: do an episode on After Earth. I have thoughts.
0: <laughs> my because like I'm like I'm from the Philly area, so um, he's
2: a local. And hero. my Shyamalan's
0: daughter goes to, like our sister private school, and I guess I had a friend, uh, Dave Harris, who was on this podcast uh, in our romance and sex episode. Uh, I guess he somehow got into like her. One of her circles, and went not only went to the After Earth premiere <laughs> in Philly, <laughs> but um went to uh, I think Jaden Smith's like s- like sixteenth birthday or something <laughs> something like he that went to one of lit. Jaden Smith's birthdays.
2: Whoa! Um,
0: and th- it was like in a fucking mansion, and like I was like, oh yo, Dave, because like at the time I was like really into scream I was like, hey, Dave, you wanna? You want to you want to uh, nudge Shyamalan like mention my name to him and then, like when I when I I uh, regrouped with Dave I think the weekend after and he was like hey Dave did you guys do that and it was like oh yeah I saw Shyamalan uh, he was really drunk and I forgot to mention your name to him. Oh <laughs>
2: but... God I mean if you want I do have Christopher Nolan's address if you really want to be like that yeah.
0: If I want to stalk Yeah
2: if Nolan, you want to stalk I mean, like, What's your
0: event moment? movie coming on twenty twenty <laughs>
1: Like just slipped something under his door. I so think like, they
0: hey. called it. I
2: Also, I think I have Aaron Sorkin's address. But Aaron Sorkin is one of the most pretentious men I've ever met. He was like, you haven't seen Butch Cassidy in the Sundance Kid. And also, you haven't seen Network. And also, you don't know the Sisyphus story by memory. And it was like, please stop. <laughs> he was like, the entire time he like came to speak in my school, and he was just like, wait, you haven't seen Network? And I'm like, no. And he was like, okay. First, see network. And then
0: he's like, you haven't seen so much. One of the the reasons why you should like, you know, ad block, like blocking ads. I don't know if there was like, like, there's probably a moral debate over that. But one thing, one reason why I do keep ad block on is because every once in a while, I'm going to get an ad with aaron sorkin like aaron sorkin can be your screenwriting teacher and then it's like, Ooh, doing, it's the like a class. five second extra of a stupid monologue he's doing and it's like oh turn this off turn this off
2: yeah he was like when he was talking he was like i wrote my first movie like that one of his like really big first movies like i wrote it on my typewriter in one afternoon so there's no excuse and i was like okay <laughs> he was like i didn't even have a bed and he was like that's that sounds rough aaron <laughs>
1: <laughs> first world pro- no, that's not that's not first world problems. It's like problems.
2: Yeah, he was like living in New York and he didn't have an income, and his friends all went out drinking, and he was sad, so he got his mm-hmm. typewriter and he wrote a movie mm-hmm. that became good. It's not you don't remember? The... I don't remember. Which
1: movie.
2: Oof. <laughs> Molly's sad. game
0: was okay. I don't know, but he he said some really like yeah. not great things about the younger Democrats. Ooh, the young like, Dems. Sh- Dem- Shut up shut up sorkin yeah mcu uh, all right what are we talking about mcu so <laughs>
1: Sorry. so i meant so actually i want to ask this question again so chris you asked um what movie what mcu movies you think are like grounded and realistic and i wanted to I guess hear oh, sure. from the both of you like what you think that is like i mentioned iron man civil war in like a fakeish way um but what were your... What were your oh,
0: Winter Soldier more so. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, if you can, can suspend your disbelief of the helicarriers at the end.
1: Yeah, with the exception uh, of,
2: like, the explosions. Like, the giant... <laughs> the giant helicarrier destroying DC. Like, Winter Soldier takes itself very seriously and very grounded. hmm
0: And it's like, oh, if, if this... If this, like, superhuman did exist, like, this is how the physics would work. You know, he's running around... When he hits the wall, there's a giant dent in it. It's just, like, running through doors. Uh, when exactly he gets launched by a grenade... <laughs> he gets launched by a grenade by Bucky, and he fl- he flies backwards through a bus like he's, like, a human cannonball. And it's like, oh, man, that's, like... If that dude were real like that, I can kind of imagine that happening. Um, again, like, you know, self he he... He falls, he jumps out of the elevator, and he lands on a shield, which I guess absorbs everything. Like, again, suspense of disbelief, but in terms of, like, um, the way it was shot, the way it was lit, uh, it wanted you to think, like, oh, this is, like, this could happen, man! This is, like, you know, I-, I thought the part with him taking down the, um, the Quinjet... By his lonesome when he's on the motorcycle. I thought that looked super silly. And of course, the shield physics are still really ridiculous. But for the most part, I would say Cap 2 more than most movies, more than most MCU movies.
2: I think Cap 2 and Iron Man are two of the most realistic. I think Civil War, just with how many characters there are and such, like it kind of becomes less realistic, especially with like Spider Man and all that. Um, like it has realistic moments but i think it's more of like a combination of these storylines more so and trying to keep it grounded yeah but yeah those previous yeah. two i think take themselves like the most seriously like the most like this is could be happening because afghanistan and the patriot act are both real world things that these movies were respond from
1: and also like the whistleblowing too yeah. um that was
0: Pretty
1: poignant. And that
2: was, like, pretty soon right after, like, Snowden and, like, Chelsea Manning and all that stuff came out, so. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think even in um, Zola's little, like, video montage, I think there is, like, less than a split second of a Julian Assange image in there.
2: Ooh. Mm. Um,
0: I keep missing that. I feel like I actually saw it for real one time when I saw the movie, but I don't remember if I made that up in my head or not, but um yeah were, were you going with anywhere with that is he and bring that up again
1: um i just wanted to hear curious, um y'all's thoughts um and um i guess think about actually i think it when you look at like all the movies we mentioned like iron man civil um iron Man, winter soldier civil war in a fake sense um i know you were going to talk about i know you want to talk about sort of this commercialization that elijah talked about how um he thinks like you know, I have like with the piece of art, thinking like this is its pure like it's black and white aspect before, like it's exaggerated by like the colors and like the commercialization. Um, and I think it's interesting when you look at those two movies we just mentioned, like those are two of the MCU's most successful movies. Um, and I think,
0: but yeah, maybe not financially, but I think yeah, they're two like, the uh, most
1: critically, critically yeah, yeah. I could check right now and it's probably still Black Panther, those two, probably the Guardians movies are usually pretty
2: critically acclaimed,
1: acclaimed yeah, yeah. But um I think it's interesting that those two movies that like, critically are the most like, successful. Um oh, Thor and Ragnarok. Yeah. Everyone
0: loves that one. Oh, Ragnarok yeah. is the total opposite of realist. Oh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> um it's also apparently the gayest Marvel movie. Oh
2: yeah.
0: It is. Yeah, a lot of bi energy. Yeah.
2: Uh, it's um the
0: the thing is that um we we did an Ike promoter episode and we we read this take that was basically saying that Ike Perlmutter was turning the comics portion of Marvel into basically R&D, into research and development, basically fattening up the comics only to use as source material for for quote unquote more financially successful things such as toys and movies. So, I'm wondering with Unbreakable's kind of more subtle, smaller messages of, oh, this is art, but they're commercializing it. Where does the MCU fit into that? Do you get into that... um, Do you get into the defensive nature of, like, no, this is still art? Or do you get into, um, man, I hate how they've exaggerated this, or, like, you know, like... I think the example he used with that art piece was that the the jawline was like a was a different shape before and then it, it got commercialized into like something more appealing to audiences or something like that like where do you where does the MCU stand uh, given all the meta commentary that Unbreakable has
1: so we talk I think in the towards the end of like the latter end of our class we talk a lot about how the MCU's influence into the comic books like there are preludes and like they're called preludes right there are always issues era is what Yeah. what i remember um but yeah i think yeah like essentially those like i think the movies are definitely encouraging people to read more comics i definitely know from experience that like i have started to read some comics more because i've seen them in the marvel movies or i see movies that are coming up and i want to read more about them like this is the most recent example like i i am very excited for shazam and i was trying to find some shazam comics on amazon but they're all like but Shazam doesn't have a lot of material because he's not as popular. Um, but that's a DC example. Um, but I think I think the MCU knows that you know movies are more accessible and more popular than comic books, and still in some cultures, and so still in like our bigger culture. And so I think it's recognizing that and trying to push it forward. But I think what it is also doing is potentially, like, I don't say potentially shutting it out because people are like, oh, we can watch the movies. But I also know that, like, in a lot of interviews, I think the directors and, like, creative team also make an effort to mention which comics influence them. And so I think they're trying to propel them up in some ways, but I think the MCU is so commercialized that that doesn't necessarily happen. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I... I'm thinking about how, because it's it's a reverse effect, isn't it? Where now the movies are influencing the comics. Yes,
2: like if you just go at my local comic store, I don't I don't read all that many comics, but I can just see like the uh, just the character designs. Like now they wear their MCU clothes.
1: Like Nick like like Fury's a, black
0: now.
2: Yeah, and <laughs> you can't find a white Nick Fury anywhere. Like that's just gone.
0: Um, that it's the most that, that's the most ridiculous example to me because okay like Nick Fury is white in the comics and then um there is a there is an event where he's not really written off but he has like a new identity and a new role or something like that and then he also has a son who is black. He has a son named Nick Fury Jr. who is biracial, but he just happens to look like Samuel Jackson, and he just happened to lose the same eye <laughs> that his father did. Oh, no. And he's chill with Phil Coulson, who just comes out of nowhere in the comics canon. (laughs) Okay, Um, he's new. Yeah, and then then he's just just the Dick Fury. Yeah,
2: like, I keep... (laughs) They did, like, the same with especially the Guardians of the Galaxy, because they were a very lesser...
1: Very, like... (laughs) Very Like, literally D... Like, F... Not F, like... They, t-list they were
2: a t-list
1: sure.
2: <laughs> but like I think the biggest comic difference is Gamora is now drawn exactly how Zoe Saldana looks and the comics she looked very different um like they all just look especially like Star Lord now looks exactly like Chris Pratt like because <laughs> I a lot of people they're gonna see it and they're like oh that sounds interesting they're gonna want to read the comics and I think they kind of have this belief like people will want to read the comics that remind them of the movies like, they won't really want to just, like, jump right in and be like, I don't... These are completely different characters. They don't even look the same. It's, like, not even like they're the same characters, even though they're based on those characters.
0: Yeah. Um, That's why I'm so curious about I feel like they have been using Carol Danvers a lot more in the comics from what I've been mm-hmm. kind of seeing. Mm-hmm. The fact that she was, like, the one in Civil War Two. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. I feel that they're trying to kind of prepare her for that um." For her MCU stardom, I guess. Yeah,
1: I was thinking about this the other day, and I think we this. I think this came up at some point a couple weeks ago, but I was thinking about MCU's like lineup after Far From Home, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see like, Miss Marvel, Ms. like Marvel. definitely more. Yeah, yeah, definitely more Captain Marvel. I think like writing Captain Marvel more like up, like the like pa- I hyping up Captain Marvel like over. The, just honestly, this past decade was prepped for her solo movie and it's a sort of of propeller like she was so popular like oh like let's finally give her a movie like it almost it almost feels like it's half like give the fans what they want half like let's make it like like like, let's make this happen like she's a great character to build off this from but i wouldn't be surprised if their lineup for the next movie would be like more i guess more popular-ish titles like that we've seen recently maybe like Oh, were you talking about Miss yeah, Marvel? Like I was Kamala about Khan. Kamala. Okay, she's like one
2: of the most popular recent characters, and she also has that connection to Captain Marvel, uh, especially in that first issue, her first issue, um, when they like started the new Kamala Khan, uh, Miss Marvel. She like takes up that moniker after Carol Danvers because she was a big fan of her and such. Um, so you can like have that kind of tie in to bring her into the universe and such. Um, do people still like the Young Avengers? I forget. Remember I thought like, their
1: lines—that's like Wiccan, like Hulkling, like yeah. Kate Bishop. I and think also
2: America Chavez is
1: people. Oh. she has
2: her own comic. Oh,
1: please now. give me America <laughs> Chavez! I am so excited. But um, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in Kate Bishop. But I don't think nobody likes
2: them. old male Hawkeye. Whatever. So but we can have cool, snarky Hawkeye. teen Kate teen. Her parents are dead, and she's ready to kill.
0: <laughs> classic story classic uh yeah. Yeah. I
2: believe the they died Tales on like on a because they're really rich they died on like a skiing accident <laughs> I, it's been a while since I read it but I thought that's how they died and
0: like I would an overdose of caviar yeah. I don't
1: know Yeah, um, yeah. Like, I wouldn't be, like I wouldn't be surprised if I don't think it'll I I have like I don't think it'll happen but also I wouldn't be surprised if they did Kate Bishop or like
2: and if they're keeping Scarlet Witch and Vision, they could do their, like, Wiccan. Wiccan's their kid, right? Yeah. Wiccan's their kid,
1: yeah. Um, I don't think they'll do... I'm trying to think of what else. I think Moon Knight is too hardcore. People really want Moon Knight, movie. though. I want Moon Knight. It's <laughs> so bad. I think... I don't
0: even know who Moon Knight is, but I want
1: he's like a, He's like a vigilante who murders. Mm-hmm. He... I've, there's a lot of comparisons to Batman with Schizophrenia. That's like the most popular, I think, application I've Interesting.
0: seen. Interesting. I'm sure that'll go great for whoever handles that. Um,
1: yeah. Finesse. I wouldn't be surprised. I was going to say Spider-Gwen, but um They already made
2: Spider-Gwen, too, yeah. and she was great.
1: Yeah, I loved her. I wouldn't be surprised. As a... <clears throat> I don't think they should do... They might do Ironheart, but I don't think it's a smart idea. Yeah. But like, you can...
2: She's too new. She just yeah. came out what last year, I feel like. Yeah. We could we
1: could have some time mm-hmm. before that. Yeah, but like that just goes just goes to show you the point. Like these newer, more popular characters like might make their way into you know mainstream movies and like setting up like this sort of very... And like especially the platform of Hollywood now, Hollywood now is like so diverse thanks to movies like Crazy Rich Asians and like Black Panther getting an Oscar nomination with a predominantly black cast and a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. like these film, like these films have like said really great diversity initiatives i wouldn't be surprised if the mcu wants to go in that direction to cater to um it's cater to like this audience that like really just eats this up
2: yeah because i can tell you i only got into comics after like i got into the mcu movies and the ones i started with were the hawkeye comics because i love hawkeye um, oh the matt fractions one yeah the nice. matt fraction one which is still my favorite comic series i've read But it was also, like, the Young Avengers and stuff like that, like, the younger Miss Marvel, like, the younger ones, because, like, they were, like, a good jumping-off point, Mm -hmm. because I didn't have, I didn't really want to read, like, the past 50 years of Iron Man lore, and I didn't really know where to start, but people were like, oh, these just came out, like, in the past year, like, Mm -hmm. you can really start from the beginning there, and so, like, that was a really good way to, like, catch up, so if you get, like, a Young Avengers movie, the, it just started in, what, like, 2012-13? uh it's pretty or like the current run they've been around for a while
1: maybe i'm thinking of a different line keep going
2: like i think the current run with that the well-known artist and such because they had like the uh they were in the the house of men's m sequel that i forgot the name of children Mm -hmm. of something (laughs) children of m no i forgot i read it i forgot it though um but yeah I've, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, unbreakable. <laughs> <Glass. But yeah. laughs> unbreakable and the MCU. Yeah, the
0: MCU. I, I think the point we're trying to get across is that um, is the MCU a part of this commercialization that Eliza prices against? And I guess you guys have been kind of talking about it just now, like in a very like excited, enthusiastic. Oh, like oh, who can we see next from the comics mm-hmm. and stuff like that? So is this relationship between Comic books and creativity and quote and the commercialization is that necessarily a bad thing? Are there any negatives that we're not really talking about yet? I
1: think the negative thing is that it's prevalent among like us who pardon my language, not my language, but like pardon me saying this, but like we're nerds. Like
0: <laughs> what?
1: What? <laughs> right? How dare you?
2: <laughs> I go
1: to CMU. I'm a You're nerd. School. What? Yeah, Sorry. So <laughs> cool. But it's prevalent among like us like we're talking about it a lot more but you don't see that like if i went outside to like if i went outside and asked about like america chavez or like that's how i'm sorry i butchered that america chavez um or like like doing Avengers, like anything to just talk about no one would know who they are and i think the fact that it's not maybe the fact that it's not breaking that like bigger mainstream ground is it's is it's one biggest failure
2: yeah, but, like, in terms of just, like, the MCU and commercialization, I'm pretty sure every man owns that Captain America shirt with the shield on it. Yeah. Like, everyone, somehow? I've Everyone? Yeah, I own one. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, um, like, the commercialization of these things have just kind of gone hand-in-hand hand with the popularity, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like, if people want get, to get MCU, even if they want to get MCU Funko Pops and such— and just buy all this stuff because it makes them feel better, like, or makes them feel happy. Like, mm-hmm. that's fine. Like, go ahead and do that. But, um, it's just kind of like a side effect if you have something popular, people are going to want more of it. And if they can't have, like, more of the movie, then they'll have more of the merchandise or they'll have, they'll buy comics that remind them of it and such. Um... And Unbreakable kind of has this idea, it's like, you have to really respect the comics themselves, Um, you have to respect this lore itself, but it's really up to you, like, at a certain level, like, art is what, art has the intentions of the artist, but also has the intentions of the consumer, and you can't really control the entire interaction from one person, like, Mm -hmm. you have to let have a bit of freedom to become something else that maybe wasn't intended but could have a greater effect on the world
0: yeah uh gatekeeping is definitely the term that comes to mind when i heard you say that and i think that's something we want to get away from the the concept of like you know i think like the three of us here we have a lot of respect for the comic writers and you know i think that they probably struggle a lot more because i think they have less visibility i think they have um you know it, it sounds like the the a lot of the corporate stuff that they have to go through uh, is a lot worse than in other industries. And, you know, there's there's comic gates g- comics gate going on right now, and there's just a whole yeah. lot of BS to go with that. Um, so, you know, all power to them. At the same time, I don't want to... Um, you know, I don't want to tell anyone who wants to see these movies, oh, you have to, you have to, like, love these comics too. You have to... Mm-hmm. You, to enjoy the mcu movies you have to think of it as high art you know like you must be this much of a fan to watch endgame with us <laughs> and like I, we, you absolutely not no we should not have an yeah. attitude at all
2: i might say like you should um, see this movie because it'll help make the movie better like it'll make oh, like more it'll sense, make sense. Yeah, yeah. you've like, seen another wow. marvel movie yeah. Right. Yeah,
0: but I'm not going to say you're not allowed to watch this movie. Yeah, like, you're not allowed I'm going to just stand
2: in front movie. of the theater and I'm just going to be like, okay, here's
1: your quiz on every Marvel movie. You have to get above a 70% or get turned away. <laughs> actually, like, um, I don't know if you remember this, Chris, but actually during, I just to bring things, a relevant example, during the Infinity War, one of my friends, her name's Alexandra, so she hadn't watched Civil War or Thor Ragnarok, which were arguably two of the bigger movies you probably need to watch going in and so i watched civil war with her like the week of the movie coming out and she like got really mad when like chris and emily van camp kissed um <laughs> 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 and then but she watched thor ragnarok like just like oh yeah cause she borrowed your phone chris like just watching it like super quickly before like the movie started because she was like oh like i should watch this movie beforehand but like in reality, like the only key details she probably needed to get was that like this movie was right before like Infinity War, but and she didn't need to watch have, like an eye. Yeah, but she didn't need to watch. Star also, Ragnar- I
0: wanted my phone. Oh back. yeah, too. Like, it was more
1: important for her to watch <laughs> Civil War than Thor Ragnarok in some senses because like Civil War, like plot wise, like that was integral because the Avengers are broken up, like the Beatles. Huh? Funny joke. Um,
0: but Thor Ragnarok.
1: Oh, wait, that was a joke, wasn't it? it was a line yeah really.
0: <laughs> some people still laugh some people still laugh at that line in the movie I and love I'm like, okay all power to you yeah but like no gatekeeping here yeah
1: <laughs> but like Thor ragnarok like admittedly looking back like it was not integral to understanding the plot of the movie like i think civil war's become that but it's been interesting i guess looking at the mcu um to see like i guess Like, because I feel like a lot of people, I think, feel like sometimes, like, if I don't know enough of these, like, I'm not going to, like, I feel so behind. Like, that's my problem with Game of Thrones. And I think, like... But
2: I think if you just started watching the new season of Game of Thrones and you haven't seen all the, like, the last season,
1: you'd be so confused. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Like, winter's here all of a sudden. Everyone's (laughs)
1: wearing, like, warm coats. (laughs) But, yeah, I think, like, I think for Glass, like, they purposely put in... I think Glass is a great job of you definitely didn't need to watch Unbreakable and Split. Almost oh, to too good un- of
2: a job, I think.
1: Yeah, to understand the plot of the movie, I think conceptually you need to watch both those movies, which is why Anthony's not here right now, unfortunately. All right. See. <laughs> Love you, bud. Um watch but, Split. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like... Uh, don't... Mm, okay. We'll talk we'll talk it later. But, like, a concept, like, sort of thematically slash like, conceptually, like, it'd be better to watch both of those movies, but, like, to understand Glass itself, like, just the plot, like, at a base level, it does a it does a good job of, like, just, you know, giving to you the plot, and, like, Layla, you mentioned, like, almost too well.
2: Yeah, I hated how many flashbacks were in that movie, because I feel like none of them were necessary. <laughs> I know... And Glass? I know that... Okay, I've seen the previous two movies, so f- I know, for me, it feels... would have felt, like, a little redundant, but with the similar comparison like with the infinity war i've seen every marvel movie more than once but at no point was i feeling like they were going over redundant information um and glass sometimes they would just like shoot go to like a flashback that really didn't help you understand the plot or the characters in any way that wouldn't have been better through like natural dialogue or natural shots that kind of told their thoughts um like that scene of him talking to his, his young son, flashback, but that wasn't in uh, Unbreakable. That, that was,
1: was, that felt like it was in Unbreakable, but I also haven't watched it in a while.
2: I think that- It was
0: a deleted scene in Unbreakable.
2: There we go. Um, Like that didn't feel necessary at any point to me. I don't even remember what they talked about
1: in that scene. It was like, oh, my dad's a hero.
0: yeah um i, kinda I think i liked that flashback i'm like in the minority here you There's like, like no that anthony flashback? as someone who did not watch unbreakable did not like those flashbacks i but... yeah
2: i don't know they just and some of the, like the yeah especially like the uh a lot of the split flashbacks considering split came out so recently like maybe for unbreakable not a lot of people saw it and it came out a long time yeah. ago but some of the split ones where it was just like it's him breaking the metal it's like we've been told there like flashes like mm-hmm. a few
0: seconds not necessarily a full flashback scene
2: yeah the one one um, the one that i thought was interesting was the final flashback where kevin's dad gets on the train mm-hmm. and bruce willis is also on the train
0: because you can cgi the, the well CGI. actually <laughs>
2: i think that was the real shot it looked like because as it faded i can see the camera got a little grainier so it kind of felt like they, it was part newly filmed and part them transitioning to what that first shot of the oh, movie totally was, yeah. which yeah. I thought was kind of interesting. And I like that one just because of the way it like shows the perspective of like, we're all so close together mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And also, for the most part,
1: yeah. I didn't love them. Yeah. Like, and I think that, I think that one like mattered. Like there was just this one random flash like, of like just David on a train remembering the incident. Like that was like, I will agree like that wasn't necessary, but I think the one, definitely the one would like um kevin's dad on the train like that was like you really like if you didn't like i get it i got the point after like his son mentioned like like mentioned like i guess like that key line it's like yeah kevin's dad was on that train but like if you didn't it like really hammered it home in for you and it was necessary
2: i just think because there were so much because you had to get all the kevin flashbacks because there are no flashbacks in split so, like, those were already kind of necessary. I don't know if, like, seeing...
0: There was just the one with his mom and the iron, right? Yeah,
2: but I don't know if that did that helped you. Like, just being told, like, he was abused by his mom, do you really need to see her running hey, he at him with an that, iron no. to, like, r- <laughs> really think so? <laughs> Holy like, did shit. We, like, like, yeah, I didn't love that. Um, I think just, I think that shang knows he's kind of bad at dialogue, so he's like, okay, let's, if my dialogue didn't get it across, let's give him a shot in some too, more yeah but then it's just Show redundant cuz you like your dialogue may be bad but i still understand what you're saying mm-hmm.
0: what what did you think of the uh, elijah as a kid flashback because i did not know until after i saw the movie but that was an unbreakable del- deleted scene Which so one that was kid's that? probably like 20, he, that kid's like 20 years older when now when he's
1: on the spinny thing with this like the stuffed animals and like his Cole just Larry surrounding himself cuz like he breaks bones. That instantly.
2: deleted scene. That was a deleted scene from Unbreakable. Yep. That's interesting. That kid is
0: like 20 like 20 year 20 years older now. Also,
2: did you see the thing that Samuel Jackson's mom is older than him? I mean, younger than him. <laughs> Sam, Sorry.
0: Sam, yeah, Samuel Jackson's older than his yeah, mom. Yeah. Yeah, that's creepy. Like 3 years older, I
2: think. <laughs> Which is weird. Yeah. But for that scene yeah, I don't think that was that necessary. Again, because I think it's kind of hard for me to go in the context, because I know in Unbreakable they have the really good scene of him as a kid with he's, like, sitting and he can't play with the other kids, and his mom gives him comic books, and yeah. that was, like, a really cute yeah. and, like, really powerful scene. But this one, it just kind of showed, like, he wanted to do things he couldn't, and I don't think it... I mean, again, I can't really think of it as someone who hadn't seen Unbreakable, if that would have helped my characterization of I don't them. think it
0: added to this movie.
2: Yeah, I think we know that his mom loves him, and we know that he's very fragile, um, but I think...
1: It was meant to like sort of draw emotion more than tell anything.
2: Yeah, I think it was supposed to make you feel sad when... Uh, can I spoil yeah okay when he dies i think that was supposed to make you feel sad like he's (laughs)
1: because
2: he's been like dealing with this all his life (laughs) um that you would uh you'd be like wow he's been he dies of broken he's been broken he can never experience anything but uh, yeah to to this movie i don't think it added
0: a whole lot uh i'm gonna say one thing about the flashbacks and then let's move on to was was glass mcu in any way and yeah we'll get into more spoilers there Uh, I'm gonna be a hypocrite right now, because I was just saying, like, hey, don't be a gatekeeper, but, like, I feel like I appreciated that flashback with David's son a lot more because of the things that resonated with me personally in Unbreakable. So, the reason why I'm mad when people are like, oh, I didn't watch Unbreakable, but I saw the important parts, the reason why I'm like, I don't know about that, is because, um, when you watch... Sixth Sense and Unbreakable side by side, they have literally the same like story and emotional beats, uh, and you know there's the like the important part to me of the Sixth Sense was not the twist ending, which I'm not going to spoil here, and because there, believe it or not, there are people who don't know the twist ending to the Sixth Sense. I think
2: I said it earlier, but it was, um,
0: yeah, no, I mean th- that was a twist, but that wasn't like the famous twist, but um. Okay. But anyway, there is a part at the end. It's Haley Joe Osment's last scene. And he is... It's kind of like this cathartic thing where he, he's like, um, Oh, I talked to Grandma. And, you know, obviously, like, his grandmother's dead. But this has, like, a really emotional impact on his mother. Uh, they're, like, stuck in traffic. Um, and I think people forget just, like, how emotional Shyamalan movies are. At least the older ones. Because the part in Unbreakable... When, again, this is before Unbreakable's big twist at the end, but the catharsis of Unbreakable was when David Dunn, Bruce Willis, when he slyly pushes the newspaper to his son, and it says, like, um, it says, Hero saves family, and I like how it says Hero in quotation marks, like, <laughs> Hero but it's like this artist rendition of David in his uh his poncho. And David's son kind of like gives him like this the surprise look, and Bruce Willis just silently nods yes and has like a hush gesture. And David's son just like is like trying so hard to hold back tears, and I just love that moment. Um so watching that flashback in um, Glass, because that's the scene right. At, it's that's right after he's talking to uh, Ellie Staple, is her name, uh, <laughs> Doctor Staple, um, and she's like she's theorizing that he is David's guy in the chair. He's like participating in all of this because you know they lost the mother. He lost his mom. And he wants to be closer to his dad, and so watching that deleted scene, which if it was a scene I've already I've already seen, it wouldn't have been impactful. But to see like this new this quote unquote new scene of, um, you know, I, I keep forgetting his actual name. I'm just gonna call him David's son. But him being like, he oh, I know your like secret Jake identity, and Jason him still idealizing his dad like that. To see David's son. The character flash back to that rather than like Shyamalan throwing that in, which is how it felt with that Mr. Glass kid scene. To me, that punctuated that moment really well. So anyway, I don't know why I spent that long talking about one scene, which is just like not that important when we have like more important things to talk about in this episode. But there's me gatekeeping, hey, you can't appreciate this one scene in glass unless you really are really into unbreakable like I am. Yeah. No I'm terrible. Yeah, oh I
1: <laughs> gatekeep a lot and it's it's bad. But I also know like maybe it stems from like my growing lack of trust sometimes and like how like I think I talked I talked about this with Chris. Um this is very off topic, but I was talking to him about the crimes of Grindelwald and like had like this whole spiel about I guess understanding Asian perspective on asians there like on Asian like whitewashing incidents, and I think gatekeeping is i think it would have been interesting it would have been interesting if I was last caught to talk about gatekeeping, but I think gatekeeping like it's sometimes like when applied when applied when necessary, it is necessary. <laughs>
2: Yeah, also we looked it up. Uh, His son's name is Joseph.
1: I knew it was a generic white name. I knew it
2: was a J name.
1: (laughs) Put two and two together.
0: Yeah, couldn't think of another alliteration.
1: Um, Mm -hmm.
0: Casey Cook, Kevin Crumb, David Dunn.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh,
2: wow. But then they gave up on Elijah Price.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's because he's the... Oh, wait, Lex Luthor is a bad guy, but that's still an alliteration. Ah, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm the joker <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay
0: i mean this whole series is basically about gatekeeping isn't it like that's true. you know eliza price is definitely a gatekeeper and like and then- split the whole message of that was like oh you're you're not you are not a pure person unless you have gone through trauma you know well i mean like split is basically about a mentally ill person who is preying on neurotypical people <laughs> And it's just, just this bizarre concept of, like, oh, I'm going to let you pass because you're like me. You're pure. you Like, and like he says the same thing to Elijah on glass, right? Um, Like, I can sense the all the trauma and struggles you've got.
1: Yeah, like through. the beast.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: If you want to get literal, um, when Casey locks herself in and he's trying to break the bar, she's literally keeping the gate. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sur- they should have just called the secret society in Glass the gatekeepers. I
2: actually did. I caught the the, the secret meaning behind the secret society's tattoos, though, and I felt very proud. Um,
0: Wait, tell, do tell. Okay, so items. their
2: tattoos were three-leaf clovers, and so their whole thing is they're trying to keep the world ordinary, and so they're doing the three-leaf clovers in post to the four-leaf clovers, which are the extraordinary and they're a proponent of the ordinary. Uh, I've seen films. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I hate that
1: really i thought it was fun it was some base level metaphor i like the metaphor i just didn't like the secret society oh, the secret society was oh, yeah, yeah that like
0: me the too, metaphor yeah. was fine <laughs> yeah um so yeah i mean it that's kind of like the whole theme of this trilogy is is kind of validation you know like i want to feel valid i i'm not a mistake says elijah mm-hmm. um and that's you know split like I can go on and on about how problematic split is, but like that's what Shama was going for. It's is this concept of um, oh I I might be seen as kind of a freak because of my own problems, but like I am valid, you know. Like Casey Cook is not um accepted by her peers, but in the situation where they are trapped uh, by this dude, She's hero. You know, Casey is the one who knows what to do. Yeah. He knows how to handle Kevin. Um she is she she like uses her traumas as her strength, which I think, you know, again, like I, I'm not comfortable with that theme. But again, that's what the movie was trying to do. I think it like it's and yeah. Sorry, I think it like
1: I think it was trying to say it in a, a I think they were trying to convey that aspect like, in like a powerful way, but I think the execution wasn't it was divisive
0: amongst people yeah. yeah and and they 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 continue that through line and glass mm-hmm. right like yeah. um you know like people i saw i heard someone in the in my audience say oh oh they're trying to go for a beauty and the beast kind of thing with casey and kevin and that's not how i saw it i saw it more as a um oh, I, I see you, I understand you. Yeah. I'm going to try to help the world um, figure out how to understand you better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I that, really... Oh, sorry.
2: sorry. That was, like, the only scene where I really felt like I got a, something about Ellie uh, Staple's uh, character <laughs> was when Casey comes in and asks to talk to him, and she, uh, and she's, like, really confused, and then she just goes, like, but you're the victim. And then it's, like, silence, and then it cuts to her sending her in. Because I feel like that was just... She was, like... Unable to comprehend, like why, like she would ever want to see him again or talk to him again. Mm-hmm. And I feel that was the most I ever sure. feel like I got from her character. But, um,
1: yeah. yeah, I think it's just
0: Sun, she... sun's getting real low. <laughs> no, she really did. Sun's
1: getting real low. Man. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I think it's interesting that you bring it up, Layla, because I that, that struck me too because we talk up like in glass um we mentioned like in glass like just the whole trilogy like you we talk about how elijah just you know he really ideal like idolized like this kind of like medium like it's really he's really dedicated to it in his life and in a way ellie is almost like if they did this well um it's almost like she's the opposite side of the coin where she's also dedicated but dedicated to like eradicating it like making it like or normalizing but she's still using those same tropes like the heroes like the secrets is like the secret like shield society like trying to like normalize everything it's like the victims like through casey
2: yeah she's kind of casey she thinks is supposed to be like the damsel in distress that got rescued yeah but it was like it's nothing like that because she kind of she wasn't really rescued
1: like she got out but she was let yeah. go she was she escaped and i think like I don't know I think that line still like that line struck me as well because like it showed maybe like Elijah and Ellie are still pretty similar people and I wish they did her character better god (laughs) but I think oh sorry I forgot one more point but it's interesting like if I don't know how you'd see Ellie in this kind of sort of meta commentary scenario but it would be interesting to see like if she is some like kind of like geeky like normalizing figure it's interesting how like she too is quote unquote consumed or like fascinated by the superhero like like the superhero mentality and like the comic book like medium sort of tropes and ideals but she's trying to you know squash it out
0: yeah i i my because i saw some initial theories from people watching trailers was that people guessed that people correctly guessed that um sarah paulson truly believed in their powers but people thought that she would try to utilize them so i think that, that could have been an interesting um way to frame that society and mm-hmm. that like oh we want we want to be the ones to use these super humans for like i don't know maybe some crazy black ops shit or whatever um right because yeah like trying to hide their existence and you know like this is this is more for an, uh, a proper off-topic episode in glass but like trying to hide their existence I felt had no actual stakes because who cares if people know about them or not? What di- what larger difference is that going to make? You know, like what what bad things are going to happen if people know about superheroes? And like because the glass did not properly convey any of that. To yeah, me.
1: I think like oh, I had a point and I forgot <laughs> it. I'm sorry.
0: That's because I'm right. There we no, go. No, it's Woo!
1: not because they are right. It was. A, it was. I agree with your point. <laughs> I was adding something about Ellie to your point and I forgot it. yeah I feel
2: like she (laughs) could have been so many things and she was none of them that were interesting and also okay Very off topic. The whole thing where, like, she walks into the restaurant and then it's quiet and it turns out everyone in the restaurant is in on it. How to coordinate that? Oh my god, (laughs) the door was not locked. Somebody literally just walked out. You. I've seen, I feel like I've seen that in movies before. It never makes sense.
1: Oh. Okay. I'm sorry, I remember, are you done? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, I remember, I think if they had tried, I remember, I think if that society had tried to utilize their powers, it would have come off as cliche, like, incredibly cliche, even more so than, like, I like, mean, like, less energy, like, even more so than, like, than this storyline, I think would have come out as incredibly cliche, I would have been, I would have been, like, so tired and done.
2: Any story about people with superpowers has a plot line where the government tries to use their powers for their own mm-hmm. motives.
1: Um... So I'm glad they didn't do that in a way. Yeah. I think it would've been in- actually I think it would have been interesting that if the perspective was that Ellie's secret society was trying to eliminate these superheroes before they caused problems for like the government and larger structures, I think it would have been interesting to incorporate superhero movies like Civil War because that is the crux that's literally the movie like the government steps in oversight and then conflict ensues
2: if you think about it, they never even mentioned superhero movies and there is supposed to be yeah. this time difference where it's been like several years and i guess it's like the, i don't know if it's supposed to be an alternate universe where superhero movies like aren't as big as a thing <laughs> because like My i feel favorite... like that would have been because she said like this is a recent delusion so it's like would like the influx of superhero media like have an effect on people who yeah. think they're superheroes like, yeah. you hear your own thoughts and you're like, what mm-hmm. if there are other people's thoughts? And I'm mag- not
0: Magnus. She, like, plays X. the Avengers in a, in a TV screen and is yeah. like, this thing has made people crazy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> my, honestly, one of my favorite aspects of Unbreakable, like the East like the 177 trilogy, that's not the right number, is that yeah. they can't use, like, Marvel or DC, like, logos and, like, images. So they have, like, their very, like, sort of cliche, like, comic books. Like, the one who... Oh, yeah, the they're beast. all fake. They're all fake <laughs> yeah. comic books.
0: Yeah, well, if you that that image of Samuel Jackson in the wheelchair, uh, against all the comic books mm-hmm. in the it's background, like to. you can see Thor there, you can see Spider Man there, and like that's before they were all movie famous, mm-hmm. but it's so strange like watching that frame now. Yeah. Um, but I think we're getting somewhere with like the fact that, um, we are now in peak MCU era. And, you know, Split wasn't really a superhero movie. It's barely a supervillain movie. It's just kind of like, oh, this is secretly a sequel. But Glass is, like, a superhero movie. Yeah. So the fact that it didn't, like, acknowledge... I'm not expecting, like, Ready Player One references or something like that. But just being part of that meta commentary of the commercialization i thought it was very strange that that was not a part of it
2: it was almost like more shock i feel like it was probably purposeful i think m night shaman didn't want you to be thinking about other superhero movies i felt like it was Mm -hmm. almost like he wanted to be like this is this is my own trilogy and i had this idea before these movies came out and they haven't affected my thoughts at all because he, you know, he like always had this trilogy like planned out, so it feels like a lot of Glass, he already thought of what it would be like before all the MCU stuff came out, and he really didn't mm-hmm. want to f- edit it to add that. So it kind of has... I know a lot of reviews said like it's a superhero movie for 2003. Mm-hmm. Like It has a lot of the context that would have been around pre-MCU, but what, since it comes out post-MCU, it kind of has that weird absence of... Superhero movies are extremely mainstream, they're the most popular movies financially around, but this whole movie analyzing the superhero complex fails to mention them, which is kind of strange.
0: Do you think Elijah Price would have seen any of those movies while he was in uh, that asylum, and then he sees the screen and is like, wait, who's that guy with the iPhone? He patch? would have
1: liked the cap. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Damn it! <laughs> i think
0: i just realized that as before i finished that sentence i was like oh wait samuel jackson is also on those things
2: <laughs> okay so maybe in this universe samuel L. jackson nick fury is played by someone else he's
1: he's white nick fury played
2: he's by funny? david hasselhoff
1: <laughs> no. david
0: hasselhoff is back <gasps> as Nick.
2: that's the only it's recasting clearly...
1: of nick fury i'll accept <laughs> but nicholas cage
2: no, I, don't, I wouldn't like that.
1: I, I wouldn't either. I, I just don't think he has the like, gravitas
2: for Nick Fury. I think he'd yeah. be a little too zany. Um, it'd
0: be too... He's already a ghost ghostwriter, so... It'd be
1: too <laughs> Spider-Man war.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the way Glass uses comic books... And feel free to disagree with me on this point about Unbreakable, but I feel like Glass did it in a very... Scream-like way, where it's like, oh, and this is the part of a comic book where there's a huge climax or something like that, where they're trying to speak in terms of comic book plot outlines and tropes. And I don't feel Unbreakable was like that. I think... Not to that extent. I think
2: Unbreakable was that, but didn't say it. I think Unbreakable the entire time... Like, Elijah Price is thinking, this is the origin story. I am making him his origin. And how he, like, he meets his his arch nemesis and everything. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like, again, like with M. Night Shyamalan's heavy-handedness in Glass, it was like, (laughs) and now it is time for the final confrontation where we must reveal ourselves, and now it is time for the the turn of fates and everything mm-hmm. which i i think that was what made unbreakable interesting because it was very subtle about it. it wasn't until like towards the end that you really realized this is like an origin story like he had the inciting incident and the struggling to use his powers and the learning the consequences and finding an arch enemy and stuff um yeah so but the whole thing's like this is now the part where you do this as like
0: we, joseph dunn stood in between them and was like it's the it's the parents that's the origin story and it's like i, just, it's I was like was oh like sh- to i was like, oh shit
1: like
2: no <laughs> <laughs> so, okay this is honestly my other big thing that reminded me of the mcu but like a small thing so sure i did the unbreak averse ace Forever 177 whatever you want to call it
1: trilogy for my stuco presentation so but for, you- oh, sorry for contacts like the big final project we give students is just to present on a different universe or an mcu tv show
2: yeah so um i did obviously a bit of research for it because i wanted it to be nice and um <laughs> but, um and when i was researching it it basically said in split it was pretty hidden but at some point it was shown that his father went on uh the train and that's what connected them, and that's why he called it the East Grove 177 because he was like, that's the in- incident that con- connects them all. And this reminded me exactly of in Civil War, when they treat the Bucky killed Tony Stark's parents as a twist, when they say that in Winter Soldier, but just like not like bluntly, it's just like shown on screen.
0: Yeah, it's implied. Yeah. yeah. Like in Split, he just leaves a bouquet of flowers at a train station, but you're like, but after the context of Bruce Willis showing up, like, ah, I see what you're doing.
2: But here. that's like one of besides for the whole secret society, that's like a big turning point, and it's and it's treated as like a reveal because they like he learns the info, but you don't see it. He's like says it later, and it was like the exact same kind of way if they said this in another movie, but it's a reveal in this one. Yeah, yeah. I, that was just like a small <laughs> thing that. Because I know a lot of people probably don't remember that from Split. Split came out, like, two years ago or something, mm-hmm. and it is yeah. a reveal for most people, but just for me, it was like, we, I was like, I know this information. They're like, <laughs> reveal!
1: This I'm isn't like, a twist! Sam <laughs> Jackson
0: looks at his file, and he, like, he flips out, He's like, <laughs> and it's like, dude, I, I know exactly what you're reading, mm-hmm. like, you don't have to uh, play these games with me, mm-hmm. but, um... Uh, I also I also had Civil War thoughts because I thought the same subversion happened where you think they're going to have a big fight with all these Winter Soldiers, but it turns out to be different, and, you know, there's that freaking Osaka Tower.
2: The tallest, the tallest tower.
0: tallest tower. <laughs> tallest tower in the city. <laughs> with this ugly-ass uh, news ticker up top and all these solar panels.
2: your it was Philadelphia deep. skyline. Those moving solar they are just wide. Ugh it reminds me of um in LA they recently built like the tallest building on the side of the country or whatever and um it, it's just barely taller than the what the freedom tower is like the other tallest one um so they just added a giant pole on top to <laughs> make it taller <laughs> and it looks so stupid I don't think the pole does anything. I don't think it's a satellite connection. It's just this, like, building. Decorative. And then, like, this several
1: dozen-foot-tall pole to make it taller.
0: They should have just made it shape, like, a middle finger. Yeah, like,
1: it's, it's truly ugly. Like, two small things, like, on each side, and it's, like, this big-ass hole. <laughs> that building does have a slide that goes around the outside,
2: so you're sliding, like, hundreds of feet above the air, it freaks me out and I'll oh my never God, do it. You do that? I'll I'll never do it. That sounds like horror. It's and it's like a good ten yeah. stories you slide down. I would you do that. It's you have to pay for it. It's like fifteen dollars. That's
1: that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I wouldn't want to pay that much to die. <laughs> um but
0: Saka <clears throat> Tower.
1: Yeah. Um but um what was to say? Um I thought, because, I mean, Split was very much like a horror movie, so I think the Scream-like tension stems from, like, I guess those roots and origins, and I think, I haven't watched Scream, but, like, I think the tension probably matched it a little bit. Um, But, um, like, I think you both were mentioning that, um, you know, like, the Civil War, the, the remnants of, like, Civil War twists, and one of, and we were talking, and, like, interestingly enough, like, this is pretty well, like, this is well-known, obviously, but Split came out years after um, years after um, um, this MCU was started, and like at least I mean 16 years since like Unbreakable. So it, it has not only been influenced by Unbreakable, obviously, but also just the MCU in general. Because at this point, there are 13 movies in, and it's interesting. Um, I think what we really wanted to sort of analyze is like how what aspects of the MCU, I guess. That Glass tried to incorporate and like trying to build their universe first, or like subtly build like this movie to sort of set up this set up like that. Yes, this is like a secret sequel. And thinking about now, I think. No, Split came out in twenty seventeen, right? Twenty
0: sixteen. Uh, it it was on some festivals in. Late 2016, but it came out in theaters January 2017. So you can really say either. Okay, year.
1: okay, because I okay, because I screwed up. I thought. Oh yeah, it was January
2: release 2017.
1: Yeah, one of the only good. I have thought some January movies, but they're superficial. But, um, um but I, I thought so. I I kind of fucked up, and I thought it came out January 2016, which is which I thought was interesting because Civil War hadn't come out yet. But at this point, Civil War would have come out like. A good couple months before, um, glass release, and maybe I don't know if the but filming... it would have
2: been it's definitely probably would have been. I mean, he, these are made. This movie is probably made very quickly because it's small cast, small yeah. not very many sets. But
0: mm-hmm. um, I assume most Bloomhouse production Bloomhouse works yeah, so. quick. Just,
2: but um, I assume it was mostly done by then. Um, you could yeah. also tra- probably try to think of uh, just a James McAvoy's schedule with. Uh, X Men movies, yeah,
1: because
2: I know that was had a big part in him mm-hmm. being able to do it.
1: Um, Let me see, because I want to see that. So the trailer came out. Um, see, like on Wikipedia, yeah, they yeah, of
0: like I do not think Shyamalan or Kevin Feige took notes from each other.
2: Oh yeah, them. I think the greatest um, influence will probably be this. Split might not have been able to be made as a sequel if it weren't not for the MCU. Because I think the whole idea of like this shared universe wasn't really a thing in 2000 and especially with a movie that wasn't really uh loved by audiences like unbreakable but then after the mcu people were like cinematic universes were the the big thing and i think if we have a spectrum of cinematic universes i think mcu is the top in terms of just like critical financial success like yeah it, it can't be beat obviously the bottom is the dark universe uh, no critical or financial <laughs> success, and there's one movie in it. Mm-hmm. And I think unbreak- The Unbreakable is like smack dab in the middle in terms of just like critical and financial success. Um, actually, they're, it's pretty financially successful, yeah. but it's especially
0: Glass made a lot of money. Yeah. yeah,
2: I mean,
1: I just Glass is making a lot of movie
0: yeah,
2: money. <laughs> I, I'm glad Glass is making money because Night Shaman financed it himself, and I'd be really sad if he lost all that money. Um, but Split was the most uh, financially successful movie of 2017 in terms of making back its budget. Um, more so, I think it was 800 times its budget.
0: That's Bloomhouse <laughs> for <House> you. Baby. <laughs> like Ayy. micro budgets. And it just like... beat
2: out, um, it beat out uh, Get Out, which I think made like
0: five. Also, Bloomhouse. <laughs> Bloom Bloomhouse has
2: mastered the art of small budgets and big success um yeah so yeah i think that was the biggest thing for the mcu it probably made it possible he probably just in my imagination he probably would have gone to like the producers and such and been like this uh i want to do the sequel thing and by now unbreakable had kind of become a cult film in a way yeah definitely there's like a small number of people that love that movie um and he was like i have this idea like it's really never been done before like this whole like surprise sequel kind of thing Um, the MCU shows people that's the
0: only reason I saw Split because (laughs) I knew what happened. I didn't,
2: I had no idea. I saw it, I saw it with my sister. My sister had seen it for the second time. My sister's not a big movie person, Mm -hmm. she saw it with her friend. And when the twist happened, neither of them had seen or even heard of Unbreakable, so they didn't get it. And so then it, the twist happened, and I started hitting her arm because I was so excited. So I was like, and then we're leaving.
0: And, <laughs> and she's like, "What the fuck, are you she doing?" Was like,
2: "Yeah." She actually was like, "Can you stop?" And I and I like I like went on speaker with her friend and explained it, and they were like, "Okay." Like, just, I was like, "It's a surprise sequel to Unbreakable." Blah blah, blah. And He's always wanted to make a sequel, on the spin and it's been rumored for like decades, and it's a sequel. And They're like, "Cool, friends, bye."
1: <laughs> yeah like i watched it um was like so my birthday is mid-january like around the king Jr. weekend so i'm always sad when like movies come out in january because they're usually all crap and i'm very movie
2: too next weekend it's technically february
1: uh, oh actually yeah but like that's exciting <laughs> but um basically i watched so i watched Flip with my friends like we saw on like a sunday not a sunday night like in the evening like we came back at like i remember coming back like 2 a.m to like my dorm room but um but like essentially like yeah we watched it that night and we like just all loved it like i was so excited i was like oh my god coming out in january and it looks good for once a good movie in january and i yeah like i really liked it and i knew when the twist happened. i knew that like it was connect i knew like i had i don't know if i'd watched unbreakable yet but i knew that like when Bruce Willis popped up on screen, I knew it was connected to either that or the Sixth Sense. I thought it was the Sixth Sense. It was not the Sixth Sense, obviously.
2: I he said glass.
1: Like, oh, glass! <laughs> I know that name. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I knew it was connected to like one of those movies, so I knew like the importance and like my theater also like just like, gasp. Um, I don't think my friends got it, but like I knew the significance. Like oh bruce willis's presence i was
2: really glad the only thing i knew going in because i saw it pretty, i saw it like opening weekend i also saw it sure. opening weekend so i just knew that i saw on twitter thank god i didn't get spoiled but someone said this is this was my favorite m night Shyamalan twist ever they're like this is like a twist that's never been done before and i was pumped and i think i was like trying to lower my expectations like the entire movie and i thought the twist was like that she let her go I was like, this isn't a very good twist. Yeah. And then like, it, hmm. the movie kept going, and I was so glad it did.
0: <laughs> the whole movie was a twist. So we'll pick up the thing that makes me doubt that. I don't, I mean, I don't really think Amnak M- M- Shyamalan had the MCU in mind when pitching last, but I think the executives he pitched to had the MCU <laughs> in mind.
2: He was like, um, this is my passion project. And they're like, ooh, connected universes are hot.
0: Yeah, tight. exactly. Because, <laughs> the kids yeah, love the because the Kevin Crumb is. was a, was a character in an early draft of Unbreakable. Like he was supposed to be the Orange Man. Oh, oh
1: interesting. So,
0: yeah, but like he didn't put him in because that would have made the movie weirdly balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, so he spun off that character into his own movie once he got a little more clout after the visit was, I guess, successful. Yeah, I have not seen the visit. By I way.
2: hear it's pr- it's a pretty good, confident it- horror
1: movie. I know the twist um but
0: i think i looked it up and i yeah but yeah i might watch it anyway. but i
1: also think you know, i think it's interesting i think thinking about it now i think if the visit wasn't as like sort of quote, unquote, successful for Shyamalan, i think split would not have gone off the ground because people would have like m night Shyamalan
2: because hmm. before that was after Oof.
1: Oof. Which,
2: <laughs> which left a bad taste in everyone's mouth um the twist is it's Earth. It's more of a Will
0: Smith joint than a Shyamalan joint. I mean, there's a... After, after. After, after.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, um... Um, where the hell is I going with that? But, uh, basically, I feel that the Shyamalan cinematic universe and the Marvel cinematic universe, not really any they don't really play with each other the same way. Like, you know, like, Birdman had a scene where, like, you see Robert Downey Jr. in a, on a news report, and, like, the Birdman voice is like, oh, you're so much more talented than that guy. And, like, it's the whole thing's critique on superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Like, Glass was not as on the nose as that. It kind of went the scream route of, hey, this is just like a comic book, right? <laughs>
1: I mean, I don't think Glass was, like, directly influenced by anything Marvel-MCU related, but I think it's a really, I think it's an interesting example of how, I guess, of, of the MCU's influence over other properties, because you can see how, I mean, on the executive, like, this was a passive project of Shyamalan's, but you can see how executives might have wanted to, like, get in, like, that big game and trying to sort of, I guess, I think it's sort of maybe hesitancy to sort of go deeper into the thematical concepts it discussed like maybe was like a hesitation to like go deep on like everyone's part because i think sometimes the mcu doesn't go as deep as they could go you know
0: in terms of like
1: sort of discussing like sort of the thematic concepts you know like in social issues but i think i think glass like I think, I mean, I don't think, I mean, Glass, as we, I think we've come to, I guess, consider is that it may have direct influences from the MCU, but I think you can't deny that the MCU probably shaped how Glass treated, like, its meta commentary.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing in the MCU really about what it means to be a superhero. They're more just stories about superheroes. I think the closest we got was Ragnarok when, you know, Thor's like, that's what heroes do in this kind of, like, cheesy, fun way.
2: I think Iron Man maybe scratches the surface of, like, defying what you think a hero is. Um, Or, like, doing it for, like, different motives and, like, different ways of defining themselves as a hero.
0: Yeah, maybe without saying the H-word, as Jessica Jones would call (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah
1: do you think, I was interested on in like, how, I guess, like, on the ending, how, like, all three of them died. RIP. Yeah. Spoilers. What, yes, I as if it wasn't clear. <laughs> um, spoiler cast. What do you think, like, that meant in the larger meta commentary?
2: It felt, like, to me, like, a passing of the torch, kind of, because they each had their person with <laughs> them when they died, or it's like, they're, them, I think it was, like, they are the, the starting point for what I think I think the audio was a little muffled, so I didn't hear it right. But I think P- Price's mom says like this is the beginning of like a new universe. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I think that was the thing—a
0: new cinematic universe.
2: universe. Right. And then <laughs> and then kind Charles of steps in front of the camera and winks. Um, but uh it felt like a passing of the torch. Like these are the people that started this world um but they they're not the ones that are going to usher in the world they their sacrifice is so that um a new generation can come in and uh all that kind of stuff um I thought it was just kind of like especially I think it was big more prevalent for Dunn and Price because those two have been there since they the beginning longer, yeah. and they've been doing this for a long time um to the fat part where um the the beast slash Kevin's uh, death was, like, more sudden, but I think his was the most emotional of them all. Kevin? Yeah. Oh,
1: absolutely. Like,
2: I kind of started tearing up um, just because I think Kevin himself, like, the other personalities aside, is a very tragic kind of character. um, Where he's like, says in this movie, like, he doesn't even want the light. Like, he prefers to hide because he's, like, so... I don't want to say he's broken. He's like just has so much around the world that he like can't. He doesn't want to live out the world, but then he wants to die as himself, which I think is very beautiful. But um, it's his death was a little bit muddied about what it meant for like the universe because he wasn't really an integral part in establishing it. He was just like kind of more of a side character in a way to Price and Dunn's kind of dichotomy but a side character that...
0: kind of rode the waves. Yeah,
2: but a side character that had his own movie, um, which had, like, a strange dynamic, because the other two was like, we started this, and then he's like, I'm here! Um, (laughs) But yeah, I thought it was more of, like, a passing of the torch, and, like, the old must must go uh, in order to usher in the new kind of way.
0: Yeah, it would have been nice if we saw... if we had, like, kind of a Last Jedi moment of, like, the kid using the Force on the broomstick at the Uh, end. Yeah, I
2: really want someone to, like... Use powers at the end. I thought
0: that would've been fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, Unbreakable had like there's a bit where Joseph was like, "Am I, am I super like you?" And you know, at that point, uh, David Dunn still in denial. But like, what if, what if he did have have a hint of a power at mm-hmm. the end? But yeah, you know, whatever. Um, always nice seeing 30th Street Station in the in movies. <laughs> but you know, Leila, you were talking about like how you. You know your your crew had no had no uh, idea what Unbreakable was, and you know I I overall have like a mixed uh, leading towards negative view on Glass by itself, but and part of that is because it makes the whole trilogy feel like a novelty. So yes, having Split end that way was really shocking and really amazing. And yeah, because yeah, it was a plot twist you've never seen. Like it was a twist movie. the The thing is that I feel that um, more people are talking about Unbreakable now because Split and Glass happened. So it just it feels like not a ploy, but it it's like um, Glass was really successful in making people. Interested again in Unbreakable and Split, and you know, for a lot of people, it sounds like it didn't work as a movie by itself. And I, I, for I, I part of me appreciates that because I don't think Unbreakable was as big back then as it should have been. So we talk about influence and like, did Unbreakable influence the MCU? Did the MCU influence Unbreakable? And I don't think Unbreakable really influenced anything because. At the time, in 2000, it just kind of came and went. And it took it took us, it took the people who liked Unbreakable to bring it back into the public mind, you know? It took Shyamalan making a bunch of bad movies to, for us to be like, oh man, remember when he made good movies like The Sixth Sense and also Unbreakable? Um, and then Split kind of was the peak of, oh man, I remember Unbreakable now, that was a great movie. Um, so you know there there're definitely a lot of behind the scenes like corporate things that might have uh had uh people in like might have had like executives interested in a shared universe but i really think this is just kind of like its own little thing you know does anyone want to disagree with me or
2: while you're talking i just kind of thought of the thing with the character's death it's kind of in a way killing off this part of Shyamalan's career um because with this whole thing he's talked for years like even Samuel Jackson said like he's been trying to make this trilogy basically as long as he's been a director like this was his dream trilogy um and in a way I think he was him saying goodbye to that dream like he had all the characters they had their individual movies and he was now he's saying I'm done with it and um, killed them all. Yeah, and he's like, "There's no, I'm not coming back to this in kind of a way." And I don't think he he might be not a great director, but I think he does have the standards where he's like, "I'm I'm done with this universe. Like I've put my everything into it, and like this is my swan song." Couldn't want a better swan song. But in terms of your point of like, is Unbreakable its own thing? Kind of. Um, I think it is. I I think X Men coming out the same year probably heard it quite a bit just to of like the math if X-Men came out in, in July, it probably was released on a uh, like VHS, right around Unbreakable if it came out in November. Yeah. Um that probably maybe a
1: little like December,
2: but like still. Yeah, so that probably didn't help at all. Um so Unbreakable just kind of
0: Yeah, and not to mention it wasn't marketed as a superhero movie.
2: Yeah. You know, like so even the people who saw and they thought I guess that was supposed to be a superhero movie, but no X-Men's a superhero movie. This is just like a drama about the concept of superheroes Mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't think it influenced the mcu i think uh mcu would have happened regardless if unbreakable did um but its whole operating on its own thing i think is kind of unique because maybe the whole fact that it doesn't really seem to reference the mcu or the modern superhero culture at all Just kind of speaks to how it wanted to be treated as its own thing, regardless of the current climate on superhero movies. Like, the climate made it possible, but it didn't define what it was about at all. Um,
0: Yeah, same with uh, Incredibles 2.
2: Yeah, I didn't... You
0: know, like that...
2: I didn't love Incredibles 2.
0: Uh, I didn't like Incredibles 2 either, but, like, people were expecting, oh, they're gonna say a lot about how there are so many... And, like, you know, it just kind of continued off for Incredibles 1... Yeah. I just
2: can't believe Incredibles Two is the second Brad Bird movie in which he yells at you for watching movies. I don't know why he thinks this. I don't know if he wants a different career path, but what's the
0: first one. <laughs>
1: He talks about it in Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. I only
0: saw Tomorrowland once, and I, it, it was just, I was soured by that whole experience. See, the
1: problem with Tomorrowland is that it was not a good movie. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I blame Land- uh, I I yeah, Winteloff
0: talked- more for that, but, like, Tomorrowland's still not a good movie. Like, it's, it's No.
2: It could have been, maybe, in one future world where it was a different plot. And ultimately- he
0: passed on The Force Awakens, <laughs> Awakens to make Tomorrowland. Bradburn? Yeah.
2: Ooh. <sighs>
0: hmm. That's well, another
2: episode. Well, at least he made Ghost Protocol,
0: which is great. great. movie. Great movie. I'm going to read this quote from Love Shyamalan. Cool, um, cool. He was asked by EW if he always had that glass, mindi- that, ugh, that glass ending in mind. He says, I did. I always thought it was a little bit of an opera, even when I was starting on Unbreakable. I always thought this was a very operatic end to it all, with people screaming and all of these implications. It was more implications more than anything. I'm a big fan of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, as you can probably tell. The format of that movie just blew me away when I saw it. The idea that the journey of the main character gets fulfilled by another character is a very powerful idea.
2: That's crazy. I just saw One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and I had thought... <laughs> <laughs> um, i don't i think nurse ratchet isn't an, an evil character at all and i don't get why everyone thinks she's the epitome of evil i think that's so stupid yeah
0: i i, I felt the same way people, when i saw it i was like wait that's that's what you guys were talking about
2: um, i've seen like these people describe it like she was the epitome of evil yeah. and like she did all this stuff and like if you i don't know I don't know if I'm too much of a snowflake or whatever. But <laughs> I didn't want to be too
0: contrarian at- and say that, like, oh, I don't think she was that. Uh, I think she was too hyped up. Yeah,
2: I think she was. She was. She could have handled things better. Um, <laughs> but I think there's no point in which she ever acted maliciously. I think, even like, I don't really want to, now to talk about "Went Over the Cuckoo's Nest." Um, but this whole idea about passing on the torch, yeah, I think that's very evident. I mean, my biggest thing Flew Over the Nest" is I thought. Uh, I forgot what his character's name, the Native American chief, character. I chief thought Brompton, he should yeah. chief. Um, I thought he should have been the main character. I at no point really cared about Jack Nicholson's character at all and found mm-hmm. him annoying and. <laughs> gross um, and i think he Hila... led okay i'm not gonna get into it <laughs> we've already gotten oh, way like off topic so... in this
0: episode it's like yeah, oh, just just whatever man
2: <laughs> at least we've talked about things vaguely superhero related yeah. um but yeah it was a passing of the torch in ways but i don't think it had i mean okay once we have to this next one the most critically acclaimed movies of all time um so i don't think it had like the poise and beauty of the, like the ending of that film But I can see where he... When the parallels he's trying to draw between the two.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think if anything... Um, It feels like a passing... Oh, sorry to cut you off, Chris. But it feels like a passing of the torch in a more ceremonial, I guess, quote-unquote existential way. Like, he's passing the torch to no one. The superhero deaths mean, like, as you mentioned, Chris, like, the... And Layla, like, like, the closing of, like, his dream, like, it's finished. And now he can sort of go on. And maybe... So the deaths of those characters, maybe he's saying something about superhero superhero movies in general, like when your dream is, when you have recognized that your dream is dead, or like has been completed,
0: let go. Yeah, maybe. It reminds me of
2: Bill Maher's recent Stupid Stuff, where he was like, people need to grow up from superhero movies and stuff. Or not even from comic books. He's like, people still read comic books, like you need to grow up, um, that kind of thing. Uh, which is its own- that could be a conversation on its own, right? Um, but just, like, this idea- <laughs> this idea of, like, I don't think M.I. Shaman was saying you need to grow up from comic books, I think you need- to, he was saying you need to grow up from the certain stories you may tell yourself, um, and this was a story that probably fueled him for, like, the past, uh, 15, uh, I guess close to 20 years, oh god, <laughs> um, uh, where he was, uh, he's just saying- I've I'm moving on from this like this story I've cared a lot about like it's it's over now and he wanted to give it like the grand finale he he imagined uh, just saying goodbye to this the story that he's lived with for so yeah, long. but
0: like even even if they're sweet. gone, they still matter. Like even though the characters are dead, people still they are still al- they are still alive through um video streams and YouTube clips. Um, so mm-hmm. in a way, like even they're though they are dudes. even though these movies are done, like you can still theoretically you can still theoretically enjoy Unbreakable today, even though like that arc is all done. Um granted I watched Unbreak I rewatched Unbreakable after I saw Glass and I was like, man, I still love this movie. Like there's so there's still so many things I like about this movie, but oh man, he's gonna die. <laughs> right? <laughs> like is this even gonna matter. But, you know, I guess Shamwan's trying to say that yes, it still does matter because they're here, it happened, they're still alive in a way.
1: Um
2: I'm sorry if you heard that. It's her birthday, so I'm not gonna yell at her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, don't don't do that. Uh okay, I think that was enough on the Shyamalan Cinematic Universe. Um
1: Thanks. Do you mind if I start plugs, Chris?
0: Uh oh, before that, uh, because I think this is gonna be kind of a Shyamalan week. Uh by the time this is out, uh we should have done a, a Tony's Film Corner of Glass because Tony is in his own little island of um, oh, of I... having feelings about glass. So If you
2: want to hear the pre- of his unfiltered thoughts on glass If you want
1: to hear a preface yeah. um if you're on our Discord, um which also join our Discord, yeah. um, you can read it at, gla- at the channel glass spoilers. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a doozy.
1: Or participate too. Yes.
0: That was uh that was kind of me gatekeeping and like cause Anthony was kind of like, uh, glass ruins unbreakable. And I was like, dude. Wait,
2: but he hasn't seen Unbreakable. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and it's great that we can uh totally uh knock on him when he's not here, right? I'm, I'm sure Anthony's all listening to this, right? No?
2: That was like how I have seen, saw the Phantom Menace before Star Wars, so I was like, Star Wars is stupid. <laughs> 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 uh,
0: I mean, granted, uh, Star Wars is stupid.
2: Um, Ooh, anyway, this not has, not has been AP Marvel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, you can find me at uh Izzy and Layla, where can people find you?
1: You can find me at Delira Lynn on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Galaxy Layla on Twitter.
0: Uh, you can like AP Marvel on Facebook or follow at AP Marvel on Twitter. I realized that this is, what, episode 35, and in the past 34 episodes, I've never mentioned that AP Marvel is on Facebook and Twitter, so my B, I guess. <laughs> I hope you already follow <laughs> us.
2: Follow uh, us on Twitter. Yeah.
0: I mean, otherwise, you can also subscribe to us. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Podcasts. We're on, Spotify. we're on Spotify, we're on YouTube, we're on, we're on Pocket Casts, we're on Overcast, we're in basically everything Anchor. now.
2: We're on your local weather forecast.
0: Yeah, pr- probably, yeah, if you look hard enough. Um, you can leave us a review, uh, you can give to our Patreon. Any Patron can listen to Tony's Film Corner, uh, 5 and Up, uh, is is for the off-topic, uh, pr- let's call them premium episodes. Premium sounds fancy. Uh, we have a bunch of Marvel musings. We have my Marvel Musing, Izzy's Marvel Musing, uh, Anthony's Marvel Musing, and either I I said to Sabrina either Monday or Friday. I'm not sure when by the time this recording goes up. We've really prepped for this. Um there should be a Sabrina Marvel musing. Uh and you can yeah you can follow us on Medium, uh join our Discord. Thanks to Charles Villanova for the graphics, thanks to Steve Maltor for the track Jazz Avengers. Thank you to our uh, our top patrons, including James Coran. Uh, and besides that, um, check out Glass. We want to know. Your, I'm so curious what your opinion is. Um, spam the Discord all you want about your opinions because everyone's very divided. Uh, I have my own review of it on Flixist. It is a 5.0 out of 10 review with the uh, subheading is half-empty, which I think is hilarious because I'm funny.
2: Oh, I hate that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah,
2: talk to me about Glass on the Discord and you can find out about my least favorite shot in a movie I've seen in a year. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Oof.
0: Yeah. I so, still like uh, the
2: movie. Just the shot drove me crazy.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Like, I... I was mad coming out of the movie, and then the day after, I was like, huh, you know what? I'm Maybe that was okay. And I'm fluctuating every other day to the point where <laughs> I just really, really want to watch it again. I kind of wish there was more Hi. James Newen Howard soundtrack from Unbreakable, but you know, what can you do? Um, anyway, that is AP Shyamalan. Thanks for listening. <gasps> Goodbye.